let's look at kind of three levels that this story exists on. The first level, we might, I don't know, I've, on, in the notes I have the street level, but that's a terrible name. In your notes, pretend I'm more creative, write something better than that, okay? Um, and so, the, but this like street level view of this story, where this is the story we've always heard. Maybe we'd call it the narrative a narrative story going on here. Just as we read it, it's easy for us. The parts that are easy for us to see are just wonderful. It's the story of Jesus and his power over illness. We've seen Jesus tell demons off. We've seen Jesus um, heal various kinds of diseases. And that's actually a clue as we're thinking, what else is going on here? We say, we've already seen Jesus uh, heal diseases. So why are these two stories so profound. Like, why would Luke focus in on not just the various diseases that Jesus healed, but in particular, this cripple coming and this leper crying out? It's a story that reminds us that Jesus is more powerful than illness. Jesus heals in the story. His, his power is evident. If we're in the story, the news spreads. Isn't that exciting? The narrative, like pushing that forward saying, hey, this is how Jesus' fame grew, was that people were being healed. And it's pretty hard to argue with a leper who no longer has leprosy. It's pretty hard to argue when you go to the square dance and the town cripple is there leading the dancing. Like that's pretty hard to argue with stuff like this. So this is how Jesus' fame spread. And that's certainly in the story. You know, we see Jesus forgive sins we see Jesus forgive sins when nobody expressly asked him. And of course, it, I, um, you know, we, just, uh, we were just in Mark a couple of years ago around here. So you uh, old school LBCers who were here for a few, you have been here for you know, more than two years. You remember we made a big deal about, um, about saying like this is a huge part of this story. It's in all the gospels, all three of the synoptic gospels. And the big idea is only God for, for, can forgive sins. I can't look at you and say your sins are forgiven. Actually, I can look at you and say your sins are forgiven, but only because I know Jesus died on the cross for them. Jesus, as a firsthand, I have the power to do it. Like a judge says, you're free to go. If you walk into a courtroom and you look at the, the guy standing, sitting there and you go, hey, dude, you're free to go. You can't do that. You don't have the authority to say that. But Jesus says what only God can say to this young man. Hey, son get up, your sins are forgiven. And then, of course, goes on to say, it's a, it's a really important story, too, as we think about what miracles are for, because Jesus says, so that you know that I can forgive sins, it's easier to say, hey, get up and walk. Well, that's a really important thing to learn, too. We also see one of the first conflicts with the Pharisees. Jesus has already had um, conflicts with uh, another group. Do you remember the other group that Jesus has had a hard time with? There were people in his hometown, people that watched him grow up. So, so they tried to murder him already once, but now Jesus has gone out to the rest of Galilee. He's teaching, he's healing, and we see this first, as this news spreads, we see that the, I don't want to say the dark side, but the, the, uh, the uh, antagonists show up, right? There's there's these Pharisees and scribes who have flocked. Did you see this? From all parts of Galilee, and they're filling up this house. And so there's, there's this conflict that is a good part of that, the surface level of the story. This is kind of moves the narrative along. We see the people that Jesus is going to have conflict with as he moves forward. 
And as he moves to, down to Jerusalem and we start to get all those stories about the passion, we'll see that the conflict is also with Rome and it's also with the priesthood, but really it has followed him through these scribes and Pharisees from Galilee. So that's an important, we might call that a narrative piece to the story. We also, Jesus, we also see Jesus illustrate authority. It's not just that he's the healer of illnesses, but rather he has authority over illness. He has authority over sin. And we might say that we've known most of our lives as we read this story that the highlights are truly that Jesus has power. That Jesus is not secondary. He's not downstream of somebody else's authority. Rather, he is the one with authority. He teaches with authority. He heals with authority. He forgives with authority. We also see in the, in the conflict with the Pharisees that is just starting to bubble in the story. We see the threat to religious power that is really going to be part of the narrative the rest of the story. That the Pharisees, on one hand, are making sure Jesus isn't a heretic. But what they really care about is that Jesus doesn't cut into the power that they have in their hometowns. That he doesn't cut into the, the uh, persuasive place in, in the people's ears that the Pharisees claim to have. So this is the story that you've heard. But this is also, not just at the street level of the story, not just the narrative of the story, I, I want to focus in on a couple other areas too. This is primarily a very personal story. This is not just a story about Jesus going and healing in Galilee, but this is a story about two humans, two men, two individuals that were saved from more than just illness. And I hope that not only we see the power of Jesus as we consider this story, but I hope we see ourselves in it. And let me, I'm just going to go from preaching to meddling right now and just stay there the whole time, okay? When you see Pharisees in the New Testament, you go, ah, those guys. Let's at the same time say, let's be sure we never are those guys. Amen. Let's be sure we aren't the ones who are so settled in our doctrinal truths that we have made it harder for people to get to Jesus. I'm going to say that about 75 times in the next 25 minutes. But as we see this very personal story, I hope that we see ourselves in the leper. We see ourselves in the cripple. And if we see ourselves in the friends that bring the cripple to Jesus, we rejoice in that. And if we see ourselves in the Pharisees that are blocking the way for people who need Jesus to get to him, that we would repent of that. And I don't think it's valuable. I get pretty tired of... Uh, of Christians talking about how bad the church is. We're humans. We're working on it. Am I right? <laughs> like we're, we're getting there. We're getting there slowly sometimes. We're, we're submitting ourselves. We're growing in the Lord. But we're never going to be the church that God wants us to be unless we have the humility to say, Father, if I'm acting like a Pharisee, I'm here to repent of it. I don't want to be in the way of people really meeting Jesus. So this personal view starts with this. Leprosy was terrible. Leprosy, anybody know for bonus points? Anybody know what it's called now? 
Hansen's disease. Oh, we have a scholar in the front row. I also know it's called Hansen's disease because we have a Google search in the front row. That's right. I figured that out. I, I, oh, yeah, I know it's called something. It's terrible. Hansen's disease, leprosy, is, is what we know about it. And, and on the flannel graph, you remember all the spots, and maybe your teacher wanted to freak you out. When you teach it to junior highs, you go, and your fingers fall off, right? And, and this is true. It's totally gross. Um, but the reason there's so much decay in the body is because you don't feel things. What leprosy is, is not being able to feel. So lepers have, get infections by cutting themselves and not knowing it, by touching hot things and not knowing to pull away. So keeping their hand on the hot thing so long that it does you know, damage to their skin where their skin's falling off, and now they can't feel that. And so, so it's causing an infection that causes all sorts of other problems. It also came with absolute and total isolation from the rest of society. You in the first century, and, and this is just Jewish law, not just the first century, but all the way back, um, certainly to the Mosaic law, we, um, you know, we read about it in, in Leviticus and Exodus, but, um, but certainly this was just a cultural piece of, of all ancient peoples, that you just can't have leprosy in town. And so you had to stay several feet away from anybody. Look how careful you had to be to isolate yourself. You had to stay several feet away from anybody that you were upwind from, and you had to stay several yards away from anybody you were downwind from. You had to wear ripped clothing, which in other instances is a sign of mourning and grief, but you had to, it was like you had to live your whole life in that state of mourning and grief. They said about people with leprosy that they were dead men, though they were walking. Ripped clothes. And you know the story. As anybody approaches, you have to yell, I'm unclean. And you know, there's something, like I say, Bible story about that. But let's think about that these are actually people who crave the touch of other people, who crave just sitting around the campfire, leaning on each other, you know, telling jokes and, and enjoying fellowship, community with other people. But they have something in them that makes them completely unfit to be a part of that kind of a friendship at all, unless it's with another leper. And I want to think about the story then and think what this guy's touch, what Jesus' touch must have meant to this guy. It says that Jesus touched him, looked at him touched him and said, I will be clean. I wonder if, and I don't have this as, as certain, but I wonder if he didn't even feel Jesus' hand at first because he couldn't feel. Because he couldn't feel anything. And then as Jesus says, I will be clean, if as the leprosy is leaving him, Jesus' hand on him is the first human touch he has felt in just months or years. Being a cripple was terrible too. Being a cripple was isolating in a different way. It didn't isolate you from, from people as much as it isolated you from, how do we say that, from a sense of meaning in your life, from, from being a, a contributing part 
of, uh, of, of your family, being a contributing part of culture. You know, you know this, that there's, there's not a social welfare system in the first century in Judaism. No, it very much is your family takes care. Why do you have a bunch of children? Well, in part because they are who's going to care for you. So while as the cripple, you watch your brothers and sisters have families and take care of mom and dad and grow in their business. And you know how good that feels. You remember getting your first paycheck being like, yeah, Barrow's pizza. Let's go. But to never have that kind of sense of accomplishment is a different kind of isolation. It's an emotional isolation. It's a feeling less than your whole life. It took away production. It took away meaning, not only from your family, but from your culture. It was a life without purpose. It was a life without honor. And one thing that being a leper and being a cripple have in common is shame. Again, this isn't the first time you're hearing this, but the first century Jewish culture is a very honor-shame culture. And so primarily what I care about is not that I live a life of, you know, uh, power or wealth, although that's available to, to some, but no, I'm told from a young man coming up, you want to live a life of honor. What matters is your honor. And if you do something wrong, you bring shame on all of us. This seems far away from our kind of thinking, but there was an assumption in the first century that God must have a reason for being a cripple. For, for lameness or leprosy to be in somebody's life. That while I can't necessarily put my finger on exactly what you did, God's a just God. And if you have the shame of leprosy or you have the shame of this lack of production, you have the shame of, of being a cripple, God must have his reasons. You remember that we're going to read a story in the coming weeks of, of meeting a cripple on the side of the road. You remember the question that the disciples asked? Jesus was it this guy's sin or was it his family's sin? This is just the cultural understanding. It's one of the big ideas of being a Christian is that we look at people and say, I'm not here to judge where you are as far as what you've done, how you got here. Was it your fault? Was it your parents' fault? I'm here to just say wherever you are, I love you. You're valuable. You have meaning just because God made you. It's not about where you've been, what your family's done, what mistakes you've made. But this is a culture that for some very good reasons, they have to protect everybody. You can't just let leprosy spread in the town. The idea was, man, God must have his reasons. So isn't it interesting that both of these stories end in this great celebration? It makes great sense that both of these stories would end in celebration. What happened to the leper? As Jesus says to him, go and show yourself to the priest, this is what likely would have happened. Leviticus 14 outlines it. If you'd like, I could just read Leviticus 14. If we, would that be good? No, okay. Um, someday, we're going to do a series through Leviticus, and you're going to love it. It's fun. You'll like it, um, but, uh, but not today. So in Leviticus 14, here's what it says. If somebody is cured of leprosy, and I, what the commentators tell me is that when a Jewish person reads, if somebody's cured of leprosy, they just start rolling their eyes. It'd be like, you know, saying like, and if the pig starts to fly. You just don't get better from leprosy. And I know that the Old Testament idea of leprosy could, it, it could be eczema, it could be lots of other kind of skin disease, it doesn't have to be Hansen's disease, but you know what you do when you take somebody with eczema and put them in the leper colony? He's likely to get leprosy. This was not a condition 
that you got better from. More on that later. So present yourself to the priests is what Jesus says he's supposed to do. This is what this would have looked like. And I, I, I want you to enjoy this. It's, it's pretty awesome. He goes to the priest. He's got three sacrifices with him, three different kinds of sacrifices. He has to meet the priest outside the camp, which I assume has something to do with, hey, uh, could you go get the priest for me? Didn't we just see you on the road? No, no, no. I, I got better, right? <laughs> um, and uh, this is Monty Python drop. Anybody get that? No? Okay. Um, so, so go get the priest for me. The priest has to come outside the camp and check you out. This was a public thing. Had to be a little, you know, you got to check for leprosy. It could be anywhere. This had to be a, a little bit of a, of a joyous and yet a little bit of a, I don't know, an awkward moment. You have to shave all your hair and then wait seven days. So they have a special place for you to go to hang out. Uh, we're not familiar with anything like this, but that's called quarantine. So, so you go quarantine yourself for seven days, and then on the eighth day, what does the eighth day remind you of? It reminds you of dedicating a baby. It reminds you of circumcision. It reminds you of like this welcome to the, welcome to the culture, welcome to the community. So on the eighth day, you shave everything again. I've read like six commentators. They all made a big idea about shaving eyebrows. Apparently, the commentators are very stressed out about their eyebrows. But you got to shave it all. And so you just have to look like, it just has to, you look like an old baby. Like, that's just what you look like. It, it's this new birth kind of everywhere. It's like you were a dead man, but now welcome back to life in the community. And then on that eighth day, they, they have these three sacrifices. They're pretty gross. I won't tell you uh, all of it, but part of it includes killing a bird and dumping the bird in some, uh, the blood in some water. You take some blood and then you take uh, some, some oil that was also brought. You take this and you put it on the dude that used to be the leper. You put it on his, his ear and his finger and his toe. It's like covering all of him. Like, hey, all of you has been washed in the blood. Anybody get chills right there? Right. And so, and this is the entrance back into the community. This is very much like a resurrection, like new life. So as Jesus says, don't tell anyone, go straight to the priest. It's a little bit of the messianic secret that you hear so much about that Jesus says, hey, I don't want everybody in Jerusalem to know. So like keep, keep a lid on it. But it's also like, dude, go celebrate. Go show the priest. You welcome back. You were dead and now you're alive. You were not an Israelite. Now you are again. Welcome to the community back into faith even. You think about that same thing in the life of a cripple. He wasn't just like, oh, my leg hurt, and now my leg doesn't hurt. But it was rather, I'm going to go back and have my dad teach me to be a carpenter again. I'm going to, dad was a tile worker. I'm going to go get in the tile business. I'm going to be able to have a house. I'm going to be able to have a family. I'm going to look at my brothers and go, you have a hard day's work, so did I. And that guy's not, not going to look down on me anymore. It is not just the removal of illness. It is the removal of shame. It is the removal of distance. Do you remember that shame is one of the first things that happened to humanity because of our sin? that really one of the ways you could best articulate what happened in the garden is that shame entered the world. I'm naked. Well, they were before. Got to cover up shame. Guys, Jesus is the one that reverses the curse. 
Luke wants you to know. I want you to know. You want each other to know. Jesus is the one that erases the curse, that erases the distance between us. You think of how much of the New Testament is written. Um, you know, we, we went through uh, 1 Corinthians a, a couple years ago as a church. How much of that book is, I know, I know, I know, but Jesus died. But they think different than me. Right, but you're united in Christ. But they're from different places than I am. Right, but you're united in Christ. But they, I'm rich and they're poor. Or they're rich and I'm poor. I know, but you're united in Christ. Jesus is the one that makes all the things that separate us in our culture not matter. Even leprosy, even being a cripple. And you know, you and I, we might come to isolation differently. There might, there might be some in the room right now that put on your Sunday best, even, even shaved or put the coconut whatever in your hair. <laughs> whatever special, I don't know. And as you sit there, you go, I know what you're talking about when you say isolation. I feel alone right now. I feel a distance between me and other Christians. If they knew what was really going on in my heart, if they knew what was really going on in my life, I feel so isolated. Illness can still be isolating. If you've had a season of, of illness, if, if you... Um, have had family members. Maybe you have family members right now that had a, com a, a communal life. They had, had friends and were able to get places, and it's, it's been illness that has isolated them. Well, Jesus is the one that removes the distance uh, in isolation. We should live that out. Sometimes it's sin that isolates Sin, after all, has one symptom, and that symptom is death, and it's death of relationships, and it's death of life, and it's death of joy. Sometimes you have sinned, and it's caused isolation. Sometimes other people have sinned, and it's caused isolation. Sometimes it's one compromise at a time. You know, we'll get back to studying David here. Maybe in the fall, we'll... We'll talk about the fall of David. Get it? Fall of David. Oh, it's that kind of creativity. That's why I'm here. Um, but you remember when we talked about David and the sin in his life, that it was never he woke up one day and said, I think I'm going to wreck my life, but it was one compromise at a time, and that happens in our lives too. There are those that are, are distant from Christian community, from the church, from their friends and neighbors, and it wasn't that they woke up one day and said, I'm never going to have Christian community again. It was one compromise at a time. One little isolating decision at a time. And again, sometimes we're the one making those decisions, and sometimes it's other people. Man, the thing that breaks my heart the most, but hey, let's just be really careful. We're not, we're not Pharisees. Can we just like say that's a goal? Like at Lighthouse, we're going to try really hard to have doctrinal truth be really foundational to us, but we're not going to have a pharisaical uh, self-righteousness. Does that, that sound fair? You want that? Me too. Sometimes it's a difference of opinion that has isolated people. I know that sounds far-fetched. And I, I make light of it, but it's, it's no joke. Ain't no hurt like church hurt. 
Sometimes it's simply been a difference of opinion. Can you imagine the Son of God? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that you might not perish but live eternally and has invited us to participate in the kingdom of life instead of the kingdom of sin and death. And sometimes we make um, who you're voting for something that divides us. Isn't that ridiculous? Doesn't it sound ridiculous? I didn't plan on saying that. I'm sorry. Should, should, have, wrote, should have written, don't say that. <laughs> but Jesus is the one who can overcome all of it. I'm not saying in every difference of opinion somebody's not wrong. And maybe somebody's wrong. Is Jesus enough to overcome somebody being wrong? Jesus is the one who overcomes all the things that isolate us. Not just health. Jesus is the one who welcomes us back into community. So come to him like this leper. Bring others to him like these friends. Because the story of the leper shows us that sometimes, despite whatever fear you might have, just cry out to Jesus. You're welcome to come to him. You know, that's the big lie of being isolated. That's what Satan loves. That's the, that's the thing in, your, in the back of your head saying, oh, because of your sin, because of this condition, for this guy, because of leprosy, you're just cut off from God. That was the message he had received from people, but I'm sure that's the message going through his head too. And it, clearly, you've heard that message. I have too. If people really knew what I was like, I wouldn't be welcome. And Jesus is the one who says, I will be clean. The story of the cripple tells us that sometimes we need friends who can look at us without judgment and not go, well, how did you get this way? Was it your sin or was it your family's sin? We got to figure out exactly why you're broken before we'll do anything about fixing you. Sometimes we just need, we just need people who carry us to Jesus. Broken, without judgment, a mess, ugly crying, just friends that will bring us to Jesus. Because, and I'm mindful of this terrible truth, that probably in this room, those of you that spent all the effort to go to church on a Sunday morning, most of the people who are most isolated from community and fellowship are not in the room today. They're not on YouTube. They're not seeking God out. They've been hurt, they've sinned, they're wounded, they're angry, maybe they're angry at us, I don't know. But they're not here, and we got to go get them without judgment. You remember that the story of the gospel is never get right and come to Jesus, it's just come to Jesus, and he'll change you. It's just come to him. So if you know people that are a wreck do all you can just to bring them to Jesus. He'll deal with whatever they got going on. There have been hurts, life circumstances. There's been apathy. Some people just drifted away. It's the worst thing. That's why I got rid of Facebook because I just can't handle, you know, 23 years of being a youth pastor and Facebook just sometimes just open it up and it's just 23 years of kids just wandering away from Christ. I can't take it. I'm not strong enough. It's hard. I don't like it. 
Sometimes it's just a drifting away from community with believers. Sometimes it is great sin. Sometimes maybe it's a misunderstanding, an argument. Sometimes the wounds are even from childhood. Some, you know, we're going to have to understand that some folks feel so wounded, not because of anything that happened here or there or when you knew them, but these are just things that they're bringing in from childhood. They felt cursed. They felt judged. They felt wounded or whatever it is. But a function of the faith of healthy friends is to bring the wounded to Jesus. Can I say that slower? A function of healthy Christian friends is a desire to bring their wounded friends to Jesus. That's how you know that you're a healthy Christian. If you have people in your life that are sinful, if you have people that you love that have walked away from Jesus, if you have people that, that you love that live a lifestyle or a, uh, in a place or with people, or in a way that you go, I can't approve of that. Well, a function of healthy Christianity is not to condemn them, but is to do all you can to bring them to Jesus. That's what healthy Christian friends do. That's what these four men did. So that means prayer, and it means listening more than talking sometimes, and it does mean don't roll your eyes in front of them, but wait till you get home to roll your eyes, right? <laughs> it means a lot of listening and, oh, I understand. Oh, I love you. And then turn around and go, why won't these people just give in and come to Jesus, right? Sometimes it's okay, but it never means arguing. I don't think. At least that's what the Pharisees did. That's what Pharisees still do. Because here's the truth of the scene in Luke 5. The Pharisees have come from all over and have crowded the room to examine and question Jesus. Probably. I wish we had more details. There's, that's the problem with reading the Gospels. You're like, Luke, tell me more. I want the whole thing. To, I want the Gospel of Luke to be thousands of pages. I want to hear the whole story. So maybe there were some, you know, looky-loo Pharisees who were like, man, something's happening over here. We better go and I have an open heart. Let's hear it. But we sure see their actions, the, the rest of the book. In a couple of chapters, Jesus is going to look at them and go, woe to you, you dirtbags. So I'm saying that my, my hunch is that their attitude was not super great. They've come and crowded this room. Can you imagine God the Son sitting there and them just peppering him? Just like, well, what about this? Well, I heard you healed on the Sabbath. Well, what are you? Who are you to, to heal a leper? Well, what? Right? Can you imagine and they have so crowded the room, just the, the, like just the metaphor is so perfect. The, the religious people making sure that Jesus isn't wrong have so crowded the room that the people that need him can't get there. I hope that's not us. But let's have the humility to say, may it never be. Then these four friends come. So Jesus is sitting there. I just imagine Jesus sitting there answering all the Pharisees' questions like they have the authority to judge what Jesus is saying, right? And then tiles break open, ropes come down. This, this dude is in front of Jesus, crippled. Just looking, we don't even hear from this guy. He doesn't even say anything, right? You can imagine, he's just, and you know what the Pharisees are thinking. The Pharisees probably go, how did this guy get this way? Was it his sin or his family's sin? And Jesus looks at the friends and goes, finally some faith. Your sins are forgiven, son. That's it. 
that's a story I could get behind. That's the kind of place I want to be. It's the kind of person I want to be. And of course, we care about good doctrine here. Let's be Bible nerds. All of us. Get good at it. Study hard. Buy big, expensive books. Figure it all out. Take an online class. Do the whole thing. Come to Wednesday nights when we have them. Like, learn your Bible. But if, in studying this Jesus, you become more self-righteous, you need to go back and study it again. Because what happens in healthy Christians is we go, I got to get my crippled friends in front of Jesus. So, of course, doctrine, truth, not being in air is super important to us around here. But let's just be sure we're more like the friends carrying the cripple than we are like the Pharisees sitting around blocking the way to Jesus. And may Jesus be the only stumbling stone that the church ever lays before the world around us. Trust me, plenty will stumble just over Jesus himself. We need not put any more stumbling blocks in people's way. Not their sin. Don't let other people's sin be the thing in between them and Jesus. I'll tell you why. Because your sin wasn't in between you and Jesus. You know, as we sit here right now, that Jesus was enough to pay for your sin. Well, guess what? He's enough to pay for their sin too. Let's look at a societal view. That's the personal story. Let's, let's wrap up by looking at this from a, the, let's call it the kingdom story. From a view of the whole idea of culture and society and the kingdom of God. Not only were leprosy and lameness deeply personal tragedies that made life incredibly difficult, and not only were the sufferers seen as cursed or somehow were deserving of the condition, but they were seen as a picture of sin itself. And I want to be really careful because I never want to be one of those pastors, one of those teachers that says, you know, this reminds me of that. That's not my place to do. We can have that conversation over coffee, but in, from the pulpit here, I don't want to do that. But we have to say, when Luke's first readers opened this, what would they think? And it was a cultural piece in first century Judaism that leprosy and being a cripple were seen as great metaphors for what happens to us spiritually when we sin. These were things that the rabbis used to say, you know how a leper stops feeling things and eventually his ears fall off? That's what happens to our spirit when we sin. You know how cripples are unable to provide for themselves or their family? You know how they're totally uh, set up like, like isolated from the rest of society and just have to be beggars? That's what happens to our souls. That's what happens to our spirit when we pursue sin instead of God. And they used it judgmentally. The rabbis would go around and say, so see, this is the state of your heart. You're like a leper. You're like a cripple. But they never got around to the part by saying, but God wills that you wouldn't be. As Luke's readers picked this up, they would have seen right through it. They would have said leprosy and lameness. These are the way the rabbis talk about sin. That incurable physical ailments were a picture of sin in humanity. The lepers and cripples were living out a parable of brokenness that showed the rest of us what happens to our spirits when we sin. So Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven before he says, 
stand up and walk, not only because sin was the primary problem in this kid's life, not only was it that, that being a cripple was secondary to the, the fact that he was apart from God, but all of these Pharisees who had come from all over, that's what they were thinking. So Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Because this guy was not only suffering under the burden of the physical burden of being a cripple, but under the spiritual burden of told, being told he deserved it. So while people around us suffer under the burden of sin and earned it, it's volitional, we're born into it and we choose it. Sin is the problem. But let's never communicate that God doesn't want them because that's not true. That's why Jesus says, I will... The leper comes to Jesus and says, if you will, I can be clean. And Jesus says, I will. That might be more powerful than be clean. What does God think about me? You know what, you know what this culture really wants to know? They are living under the assumption that God is judgmental and doesn't like them. What if all they heard from the church is God wills your cleanliness? Not get right and come to him, but he wants to clean you. Because Jesus wants to be sure that this guy knows that the Messiah does not will that this man would be isolated and alone and hurting. Because Jesus is not only the healer of bodies, but he is the one who makes the unclean clean. Think about what a great picture leprosy and lameness are to sin. I mean, just as we let our imagination run a little bit, lepers are never going to be clean. You don't get better from Hansen's disease. We have treatments for it now. Some other time we'll talk about how ridiculous it is that there are parts of the world that don't have that, that cure, but that's for another time. But there's, you know, if, if, if you and I came down with Hansen's disease, it'd be terrible and we'd have, we'd have treatment and it'd be better. But that was not true in the ancient world. A leper's illness is a numbness to the world around them. Sin is like that. It numbs us to our mistakes and bad, bad decisions. You need to know that about you. You might have some blind spots because sin does that. But you also need to know this about your friends and neighbors. It's a numbness. You remember Paul saying to the people in Corinthian, geez, you guys do what the pagans don't even do, right? <laughs> they had some blind spots. And we might too. Maybe you've experienced the numbness that comes with a life of sin. While you're numb, you're causing all kinds of damage. Addiction is like that. You don't know you're an addict the first moment you're an addict. It's not till that numbness has caused enough trauma that you look around and go, what is happening? And maybe we all have blind spots like that where we've done some damage before we realized we were doing it. Maybe by the time you figure out the problem, the real damage is done. Relationships are broken. Habits are formed. You say, what do we do now? Well, you come to Jesus because he's the one who destroys the distance between us, between us and God, between us and each other. And let's have humility and not only see ourselves as the people following Jesus, but to see ourselves as a leper. You know, uh, my wife works with Awana, 
a lot of years. And one of the, fa one of the favorite stories she, she tells is she'll give a little salvation message to the you know, four and five-year-olds and she'll explain sin and then go, so has anybody in here sinned? And they go, no. <laughs> she'll go, okay, has anybody ever lied to their mom? Has anybody ever taken something that they, their parents said not to? Has anybody ever had a bad attitude? You know? And those are just like, no, it doesn't ring a bell at all. <laughs> Pray for the Iwana leaders. It's all of us. We're so much better at justifying our own actions than we are at realizing that we're the leper. We need to cry out to Jesus. If you will be clean, clean me. I need it. Sin is crippling. Most people don't want to be carried. <laughs> Not necessarily to church, although I hope so. But everybody needs to be carried to Jesus. You know, there just might be someone in your life that is never going to see Jesus unless you bring them to Jesus without judgment. Not let me tell you what's wrong with you and let me tell you about Jesus, but just let me tell you about Jesus. Amen. One of the things that Luke wants to say with all of that context is, if you find yourself unable to save, save yourself. And sometimes I think this is harder for those of us that have been in church our whole life because we're so good at being Pharisees. Like, we're just great at it. I can make it look like there's nothing wrong with my heart anytime I feel like it. But sometimes you just have to go, I'm just so grateful for a story where a, where a leper just cried out and Jesus said, I will be clean. If you find yourself cut off from community, if you find yourself feeling cursed, if you know folks that are cut off from community and might articulate things like a feeling of being cursed, it sounds something like this. Go to church with you. Place would probably collapse if I walked in the door. Church, I know all about that. I went twice to a you know, BBS when I was seven years old. I know all about it. But there's a feeling that they're not welcome. Not only in church, like church might be two or three steps down the road. I'm talking about in the lives of Christians. By the church. And if you find somebody like that, and if you find somebody like that in the mirror, would you know for sure what Jesus wills for you? What Jesus wills for them? Be clean. Be welcomed home. Be in community. Call out to Jesus if you need to. And hear him say, I will be clean. Because here's how leprosy works, and maybe this is how sin works. I don't know. It's a good metaphor, even if it don't track completely. But everybody else touches the unclean, and they become unclean, right? I say this a lot. But if I touch a leper, I am unclean. If Jesus touches a leper, the leper is clean. People don't need us and our judgment. They need Jesus. Jesus is the one. Not me and you. Jesus is the one that make, makes the unclean clean. You remember on the Sermon on the Mount that starts, those Beatitudes that start, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we've talked about that before too. It's just this is, this is Jesus' acknowledgement that all of these people with all of their sin and all of the demon possession and all this stuff, the kingdom of God has still drawn near to them. In these stories, we're seeing that in action that the kingdom of God has drawn near to these people. 
So, if you are lame, if you are unclean, if you feel like, or especially if you have been told there is something unforgivable in you, then come to Jesus and hear, I will be clean. It's not God's will for you to be forsaken. It's God's will for you to be forgiven, not condemned. And let's remember what this costs Jesus, too. This is no e- easy proclamation. This is not Jesus, you know, in a mood, in a like gregarious mood, where a leper comes up and goes, hey, if you will, I'll be clean. And Jesus goes, sure. Yeah, that sounds good. I will it. Be clean. Jesus knows that the cost of this guy's cleanliness is the cross. As Jesus looks at the cripple and says, your sins are forgiven, that's not cheap. Jesus knows what this is going to cost. You and I know what it did cost. How dare we keep people away or not communicate with everything we've got? If you're a wreck, welcome to the church of the wrecks. Jesus wills. Be clean. See, so without the cross, our sin would just continue to do what sin does, separate. But it's Jesus that says, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus paid it all. Sin has caused a crimson stain, but he has washed us white as snow. Believers, scholars, well-read students of doctrine and polity and experts in the law. Let us make two fresh commitments today. One, that in our religious zeal, we would not hinder anyone for any reason from coming to Jesus or being a part of our community. That sounds messy. Doesn't that sound great? And the second fresh commitment, let's do all we can to spend our time and energy finding those in our lives who believe that they are distant and cursed and do all we can to make sure they meet Jesus. And it's a narrow road. This is why we shy away. Not everybody that meets Jesus wants to follow Jesus. That's okay. That's not our job. But it's our job to make sure they know the real Jesus, who he really was, who he really is. Why don't I pray for you? We're going to sing a song about us crying out, holy, holy, holy. And if you need a fresh touch, if, if you have been walking with Jesus, but you know the state of your heart, and today's a day where you could really use a crying out, Jesus, if you will, I could be clean. Would you know that his answer is, I will have a fresh start and a brand new heart? If you need that today, cry out to him. Turn your heart towards him. Incline your mind towards him. And I hope... That's the youth pastor in me, I admit. But I hope that you're thinking of people on your street block and in your family that have had enough condemnation. What they really need is to meet a Jesus who says, Son, your sins are forgiven.